This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 
At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. It's another film study. It's week 15. It's time to break down the defense. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. Uh, it was fun to be in Jacksonville area as I watched the Jacksonville Jaguars get killed. And uh, a lot of hype going into this game for people around here who were all excited about Minshew being back. And then once the game started, I didn't understand why. <laughs> he, did, you know, he didn't look so bad personally. I thought he threw some good touch passes under a lot of pressure. But boy, that offensive line—I was kind of led to believe that was not as bad as could be at this time for a team like Jacksonville, and they were terrible. Yeah, well, you know, it ended up being a win-win because the Jets won, so mm-hmm. the Jags then in turn won because mm-hmm. they now both have one loss. Or one-win seasons. So people down here are excited about a chance for a high draft pick. If there was ever a team that deserved the number one pick, it's Jacksonville over the Jets after that tanktastic loss the Jets had a couple weeks ago. Right. The Jets should have two wins. Mm -hmm. All right. But Coach is joining us. Coach is back on the show. How's it going down there? I'm going good. A lot of rain going on, but Christmas break is here. So I watched a great game yesterday and wasn't really busy. So I decided to hop on. Had an open spot. Thanks so much for doing it, Ivan. You know, you're one of our favorite guests, and we'll love talking football for the next hour. So tell folks your, your Twitter handle and about your YouTube channel. Yeah, my Twitter handle is Coach Evans 9 and you'll get a lot of Ravens content on top of uh, some high school football, just some general everyday laughs. I'm a huge jokester, so I love cracking jokes, and that's normally what you see on there. And on YouTube, I'm Sid the Tally Films. I do a lot of Ravens content, well, almost all Ravens content. And recently just put out a video uh, before we started about um, Greg Roman, that second drive he had that I thought was pretty masterful as far as the play calling and whatnot. And I uh, just put a video out about that. They're uh, sure that'd be fun to watch. Those videos are always great. Lots of inside coaching tidbits. I love to watch them. And that's SIP to Tally Fills. That's S-I-P, the number two, and then Tally, T-A-L-L-Y, uh, for YouTube videos. Comfortable win at last. Dialed back the playbook usage a little bit in that second half on defense in particular. Uh, on offense as well, but on defense in particular. Uh, what do you take from that in terms of beating a admittedly fairly bad team that handily? What I take from it is the fact that he we found a way to protect the DBs or the lack of DBs that we had. The guys up front kind of did their job good enough where the guys on the back end couldn't get exposed because uh, Chark is not a a slouch. Chark had a great year maybe two years ago, maybe last year uh, with a ton of yards, ton of great catches. Uh, Chenault's kind of shifty. So uh, the front end and the back end kind of married together, as uh, Warren Sapp used to say. We'll get to uh, talk about both things as we as we move forward in this episode a little bit. But before we do that, Josh, you're up. 
All right, my bookie again. The promo code Ravens. You guys know all that. You know the Ravens. You know my bookie. Uh, you know that as we finish this season, the Ravens are continuing to be favorites, so you can hop on the Ravens and make yourself a little bit of money. But what you don't know is that it's Christmas season, so they are now starting promotions, giving stuff away just like they did for Thanksgiving. So head on over to my bookie for their six days of giveaways and use your promo code Ravens when you deposit, and they'll match you up halfway on building your bankroll. So if you put in $200, then you'll get an extra $100 to play with. It's joining is easy, depositing is easy, taking your money out is easy. So treat yourself to some extra cash in your pocket this holiday season by investing in your intuition. What do we got for a line on that Ravens game this next week, Josh? I was just starting to pull it up. I don't see it listed yet on uh, over on my bookie. Okay, I've been seeing 10, 10 and a half. So when it comes up, I'm sure it'll be something similar on my bookie. But anyway, that's a, a yeah. game to look for. You feeling comfortable about that kind of a spread in the game coming up, Ivan, against a team like the Giants? Um, yes and no. But before we just know that when we got that safety versus um, the who was that? The Cowboys, maybe? Uh, well, they got to get against Jacksonville just this you know last what I'm saying? week. The, the safety two weeks ago. Oh, I went, yeah, yeah, I, went Browns, straight, right. I went straight to my bookie because I covered on my bookie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's good. But uh, that, well. that spread, is, I try to stay away from double-digit spreads. I try to because they're so, you know, it's the NFL. Mm-hmm. And, like, the, the, the Jets, you know, threw one out the hat the other day. So I try to stay away from the double-digit spreads, but some of them are, you, you think of slam dunks and, and – just got to go for them because they dangle it out there so good for you. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the roster adjustments the Ravens made to, to this game beforehand. And it's been really interesting watching the transactions on Saturday because they are complex and multi-category transactions they're making every week. But in this, this I want to simplify it a little bit and just look at the number of cornerbacks and the number of defensive backs because they had five cornerbacks on the injury report during the week. In fact, every cornerback, except for Marlon Humphrey, congratulations on the Pro Bowl, was on the injury report during the week. It, it's it's wild the way we've been able to maneuver the injury report, the the COVID list, and, and, and all those things and still be in contention to to make a run. Uh it's just a it's a, it's a it's a shout out to the culture because guys are coming in off the streets, buying into and learning the system fast and getting out there and having to produce. And it's just a, a compliment to um, Wink and, you know, the rest of the defensive staff to, to get those guys prepared and not put them in situations where they can be exposed as much. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I The coaches deserve a lot of credit. The general manager's job in this year is tremendously difficult as well to, to go out and get talent and be able to have enough foresight to determine what positions you need. Even with a, what, a 16-man practice squad this year or whatever it is, it still doesn't seem like enough when it takes so long to get somebody in the building after you get injury news. So it's a, it's a very difficult uh, you know, fence to be straddling all through the year. Anyway, they also activated five defensive linemen for the game. Uh, Sorry, they activated five cornerbacks for the game. That's important. They only activated four last week, and they ended up with Levine at slot corner for a few snaps uh, towards the end of that game. 
which was scary to say the least in a 45 to 42 game or whatever the score was at exactly at the time. Um, but it was not, it wasn't obviously what the Ravens would want. Um, they did activate five cornerbacks for this game. Although as we know, three of them had been on the injury report during the week, Jimmy Smith and Marcus Peters, two of their three best are off, you know, were out for the week and they had to bring up Pierre Desir, who we've never seen play, but he's already been man of the year or the, the award that Campbell won last year, right? Yes. For, for the, the Jets, Jets this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it, probably a good person, not necessarily a great cornerback. <laughs> and, and I, I don't think he played a snap, did he? No, he didn't play a snap. In fact, they didn't play anybody but their top three corners. So that was one of the really odd things is the Ravens only played five defensive backs in this game. And I was going to try and look back the last time that it happened because I've got the records, of course, from every game. But any game they play dime, they've automatically played six. So the question is, when did it last occur? And I think it's been years. I think it may have been several years since it's happened. So maybe since the Dean Pease, I'm never going to play dime to save my life years <laughs> that, it, that it really happened. Uh, also in this game, five defensive linemen active. So last week they had five active, but Campbell was one of them, and he was really walking around wounded. And all they really did this week was replace Campbell with Washington. Not a huge change, but you really notice in some of the things that Wink did that they were really trying to conserve defensive snaps, defensive most line de- snaps. Yeah, yeah mo- most definitely. They um, had a. I think I saw um, Malik out there a lot. I see. I saw Ford out there a lot, and you normally don't see all three of those guys out there a lot. And they they played a good amount of snaps together. I think. To go along with uh, trying to keep those defensive linemen fresh, right? So to play the defensive, to keep the defensive line fresh, they can do a couple of things. They, one is they avoid jumbo nickel, and, that, and the two is that they play a lot of standard nickel, maybe instead of base. So they did some of each of those things. But then the other thing they can do is they play race cars. They only have one defensive lineman on the field with four outside linebackers. So they have a couple of different ways to get there, but they really did it. And and what helped more than anything was they held the. Um, uh, Jags to 56 snaps in this game, so that'll do it. But uh, but anyway, good good game of of holding down the total defensive line play. I'm with you on the cornerback play though. That they really, I think they did a part in supporting the pass rush. Anthony Averett, you know, we saw a different guy than played against Dallas two weeks ago. Most definitely, and that's one of the guys I've been uh, on his team from early in the year. A ton of people were. You know, bashing Avery, and I kind of, you know, took it upon myself to put some video out on how well I think he, he can play. I don't think he's a he's a Marlon Humphreys. He's not a number one or number two corner, but he definitely can be serviceable as your slot guy. Well, not your slot guy, but as an outside guy to maybe move somebody to the slot. Mm-hmm. He's not a slot corner, but he can go on the outside and hold his own for the most part because he has one thing that you really can't coach. He can fly. Good length, too. He's got that aircraft carrier size, so he's, it's what you want in a cornerback. And I'm I, very, very happy to have him out there. Really surprising how little they targeted him. So Minshew, they didn't, first of all, they didn't chase any receivers. So wherever mm-hmm. Chark was, they let whoever was there, Tremont Williams in the slot, Humphrey, uh, Everett, whoever it was, play him. And they have all big receivers. Minshew was happy to go after all of them, but he really seemed to be going after Marlon Humphrey in this game. He had a lot of targets, uh, close to 10, where Averett, I had him for, I believe, four with three mm-hmm. complete and Tremont Williams had maybe three out of three or three out of four. It was in that neighborhood. Uh, so, you know, of all the passes thrown in the game, a lot of them were targeting Humphrey uh, and including the touchdown at the end of the game. 
Yeah, I don't really think uh, Minshew was necessarily targeting Humphreys. I think he was just going through his progression and and going to the guy he think was going to be open. Uh, like you said, they have a ton of big receivers, and they, they lost their biggest receiver early mm-hmm. in the game, the kid from Texas, Colin, um, whatever his name is. He's like 6'6". Six, six. So, um, and Chenault's the, probably their smallest guy, but he's probably the toughest to, to oh, bring yeah. down because he's like a little running back. And, um, you know, like I said, Chark is fast and big, and they had one other guy. I can't remember his name. That was pretty big. Chris Conley. 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 Yeah. That's the guy. I'm 18. So, um, you know, I don't think he was just necessarily targeting Marlon because if he was, you know, we need to check him for drugs. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, I think he was just going through his progression and trying to hit the guy that, you know, he thought was going to be open. Yeah. It's uh, in two weeks ago played a ton of soft zone coverage, and that's what the Ravens did. They got him on the back end of cover three. They got him in some situations where they could run easy stop routes against him or easy comeback routes, easy back shoulder stuff on the sideline. And he was he was just allowing those catches to be made in front of him, making the tackle pretty quickly. Didn't do badly in terms of missing tackles, but he's a uh, he was a better cornerback than he put on display in that game. He was just being told to play off these receivers it was not his choice i don't think and and this game you actually saw him break on some balls and and force some incompletions which is you know a complete opposite of what what you just spoke of Mm -hmm. yeah good pd up high against a tall receiver early in this game that uh denied a third down so that was a good one uh tremont williams i thought was pretty solid in the slot it wasn't like he's a he's at 38 years old he's moving at the same rate as these receivers but they can use him to do a few different things they used him to rush the quarterback again as the ravens do off the slot a little bit and he gives you a little bit more coverage ability in say either a short zone or in man against a receiver to make that window a little bit tighter for the quarterback yeah uh crafty veteran crafty veteran. not the not the fastest anymore but it has a ton of football knowledge, a ton of football snaps in his past. So he kind of has a general idea of how to make up for his his uh, season nature. <laughs> All right, that's a good way. All right, no other cornerbacks on the field. We talked about that a little bit. Let's talk about the defensive line because I thought these guys and the edge setters in particular completely dominated the game. The, the uh, Jaguars, let's see, they had 22 attempts for 62 yards, 2.8 yards per carry in this game. So the Ravens shut down the run game. The three guys who were down linemen, or the the three guys in the middle among the five that they had, were just all outstanding with one exception. Wolf, I thought, was an Ironman. Again, he does it week after week where he makes a couple of big plays and is in there for the most snaps of all. Uh, Matt BK uh, has stepped up. Oh, yeah. Uh, Wolf is... I didn't think Wolf was a run stuffer. I thought Wolf was a... A third down, you know, yes. stunt type guy, but he's completely proved me wrong. And maybe he's been forced to do that because of the injuries and, and the, the COVID whatnot, but he's turned out to be a huge signing. Huge yep. signing. Um, and the other, let me see, Matabike and who else was in that? Brandon? Brandon, Brandon Williams Brandon was terrific. Was, was terrific, right? Yeah. I can't say enough about what Brandon is doing. And I thought he was going to have a drop off because, you know, him and Pierce was kind of, kind of figured each other out. Mm-hmm. And then Calais has not played as much, but he stepped his game up big time. Yeah, you can you can really still see how this line will be even better when they get Calais back and, and really healthy. I mean, not you know, they've had him back a little bit and not healthy, uh, hasn't made the difference. But Matabike, boy, there's a player who 
the Ravens really need to step up because this is a very old defensive line. They're, mm-hmm. ta- they're talking about re-signing Derek Wolf now. That's been discussed now for the last week to 10 days, I would say. We still haven't heard official word yet, but I am expecting that he'll be signed for another two years probably, not just another one. I don't think you'd bother with an in-season signing unless it's going to be a two-year deal. Right. Yeah. You'd be excited about that? Oh, I love it. I love it. How old is Wolf? Is he Wolf is thirty this year, so he'll be he'll be thirty one and thirty two. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think two 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 years out of that because you know once you, Calais is is an anomaly, with his age and still able mm-hmm. to do the things he he do. So pushing thirty one, thirty two, you know, maxing out at thirty three, then you kind of kind of try to roll guys up out of there. But the fact that you have a Matabike there that's probably twenty two or twenty three. Um, that's going to help. You got a guy that, you know, he can learn from Wolf. He can learn from Campbell. He can learn from um, um, uh, Brandon. He can learn mm-hmm. from that guy. So, you know, having that young guy there to to learn from those three vets, and then I'm sure you're going to, you know, try to cipher more young guys in there to kind of fill that role as you filter the older guys out. Right. It, it, they, they really need to do that. And they did draft Broderick Washington in the fifth round. And honestly, that hasn't worked out so far. Now, it may be just a rookie trial by fire that didn't really work out, but he's kind of invisible in this game. I think he had 18 snaps. I'm going to bring it up here for a second. But Washington had 14 snaps in this last game, and he kind of lagged behind. When he was on the field, the, the, um, the Jaguars did more offensively than when he was not. So including 10.6 yards per pass play with him on the field. It's, it's, he has not been the guy they would hope they would get, but he's been forced into more action than rookies normally do. And you know the alternative is somebody like last year that Daylon Mack, who looked like he might be the Ravens' great nose tackle, ended up playing eight snaps and he's already gone. Right. He, he's in a situation where he's had the opportunity to show his worth. Um, and most times in NFL, the best way to learn is by playing. And he's had the opportunity to play. So um, that's kind of on him to not put good tape out there. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, the guy who, who last year got more Ferguson, got, got more Ferguson, you know, got more playing time than you would expect is Ferguson. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he played a, a trial by fire level of snaps this year. He, it should be that his play this year should be an increased level from his rookie year. Uh, and it isn't. But it's, uh, you know, I think that he's done some things better this year that are very positive. And he was part of the group that really set the edge in this game as well, because it's not just those linemen. Those linemen had to, had to hold the point of attack. But those edge setters were constantly folding that edge over. McPhee, I thought Ferguson did a good job. Now, we saw the one pass interference penalty, which I thought was kind of ticky-tack. Right. How would you feel about that, by the way? I thought it was ticky-tack, but the fact that... He wasn't even really chasing Bowser on that interception that, you know, they mm-hmm. kind of had to call that in the fact that, you know, how they protect quarterbacks. But um, as far as Ferguson, last year he was just bull rush. This year he's added edge setting. I think he should, you know, this third year he has to do something in the pass rush game. Mm-hmm. He has to. Or he's going to be looking to be um, at the end of his rookie contract out of there. I and mean, he's improved his game because he definitely can set the edge. You know when he's focused, but um, I think it got kind of lax toward the end, and and with that passing interference, I mean not with the passing interference, with the um, roughing on the interception, mm-hmm. just lost focus. But he 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 hasn't improved in pass rush, but he has improved in edge setting. But in order to stay with us, we he need we need all that. We need to total package because Bowser is going nuts. Right, that's it's going to be difficult next year. But the Ravens have to figure out a way 
to keep one of Bowser or Judon, I think now. I, I don't think Judon is the practical answer because of the second franchise tag giving him additional leverage in a contract negotiations. There'll be not too much money available in the league. It may be that Bowser's available at a discounted rate. It may well be that, sorry, that Bowser is, or that, or that Judon is. I think it makes more sense and it's more likely that Bowser would agree after this year to maybe a two to three year deal that would give him the financial security to make him safe and also allow the Ravens to, to derive a little bit of that benefit. There's not a lot of reason for it. And some teams like the Patriots, who have a lot of money to spend, should be in great competition for the services. Unfortunately, the Jets are in that group, too, and you know they're going to love them. <laughs> so it's we, we, lots of competition for his services, but I do expect that the Ravens will make a try to get him because he's, he's so critical right now. Yes, he's, he's playing a, a, a good amount of ball, a, a good high-quality level of ball that I really didn't expect from him this year. He's been a pleasant surprise to, to see him get out there and do the things he's done. Yeah. So he did a good job edge setting this. We got several positive edge setting notes on him. We mentioned Ferguson already. McPhee had a really good game setting the edge. Uh, all of them did well. Judon did not do much to set the edge, honestly. He was used mostly as a pass rusher in this game. But boy, when you get your quarterback out of an interception the way he did right off the bat with that sack for a safety, that's just fine. Hey, that, that was big time. He um, One of the first times he just straight up beat a guy without a secondary move. Straight up beat mm-hmm. him and um and kinda if he didn't he wasn't the only one that beat his guy. He you know, he got there first, but there were two other guys there to kind of crush in on that second, right. even though I think Judon got, got the credit for because he was there first. But that was one of the first times he just straight up beat a guy without having to use a secondary move or the quarterback holding the ball. Yeah, McPhee, you're right. It wasn't a cleanup at all, but McPhee would have had that sack and also had it not be a cleanup if he had not done it. Minshew, frankly, did not get rid of the ball with the urgency necessary from his own end zone on that play. Exactly. He held it. That ball should have came out right now. It should have been a running play. There was no, no, no pump faking going through reads. When you're in the end zone, your clock goes to zero fast. Mm-hmm. And his did. There you go. There you go. Jawan Taylor, the right tackle on that play, got beat pretty bad. He got beat a few times on the day. I'm sorry, it wasn't the right tackle. He beat the tight end on that play. Yes, tight end. That's yes. who he did. So, yeah, maybe it's more understandable how he beat, who is it, Eifert or O'Shaughnessy, whichever one it was. I think it might have been number 80. I think it might have been O'Shaughnessy he beat on the play. Uh, so, anyway, a little more understandable why Judon would be able to beat him. Uh, what else we want to say? Anything else about the about the defensive line or the edge setting or the run defense in this game? I will say that um, I was impressed with the way we shut down their stretch. Um, their rookie running back has a chance to break some records, and one of the one of his bigger plays or better plays was the stretch or outside zone, whichever you know, whatever term you want to put on it. He did a good job of keeping our gap integrity and not letting that play be one of the plays that beat us. The only play I really even saw him get burst on was a little ISO play, and he ended up running over about three people. He hit Queen, hit Avery, hit somebody else, I think mm-hmm. for like a 10 or 11-yard game. That's, and that was pretty much right up the middle That was mm-hmm. that he did. They, and they did get the good point of attack blocks on that play, and then Queen got missed the tackle. I, um, that stretch play, a, a stretch zone, so you're a coach, and you're mm-hmm. coaching the defense in that case. What are the main things you need to do to shut down a stretch play? I, I would take a guess at a couple of things, but why don't you why don't you tell us, and then I'll maybe ask about some things. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm gonna tell you here, 
and then tomorrow night you guys can watch me talk about it because it's in the, the video I'm doing tomorrow. Oh, great. But um, the thing is just to string it out, to stay in your gap and string it out to the sideline. And that's what they did. You know, from the naked eye, I hadn't examined it because I try to do that uh, on, t- on on live to so you can get my honest reaction. But from the, the television view, it looks like everybody stayed in that gap and just strung it out to the sideline. Because offensively, what the offense wants you to do is to overplay it so they can cut back. Okay. So to, oh, go ahead. I'm, a, I'm the defensive tackle on the run side of the play, on the mm-hmm. front side of the play. Okay. I still want to cross the face of my opponent if I can, right, with that zone blocking scheme? It, if you're a one tech, if you're in your if you're in front side A gap, you want to stay in front side A gap. Okay, I'm and, front but you, side. But you're gonna go with the play. You don't want to cross a guy's face, and then that puts you and somebody else in the same gap. That's the that's the overplay that the the running back is waiting on. Okay, so what so do I do I play that guy straight up and at least try and force him backwards to bubble the running back? That's one way to do it. Okay. Penet- penetration kills any any outside zone, mm-hmm. but if you're not going to get penetration, you need to stay in your gap and make sure you take your gap horizontally with the play. Okay. The first time you you get in the wrong gap or you cross the face or you get hooked, so to speak, mm-hmm. that the O-line hook you, that's the alley that the running back's looking for. Because all he's doing is probing, waiting on somebody to overplay it or, a, a, or for him to see grass. And as soon as he sees, he's going to stick his foot and go. And we did a good job of taking that play from wherever the start was to the sideline and then just making a tackle toward the sideline. I know on three occasions it was done. Okay, so now I'm the three-tech on the play side. Mm-hmm. I'm the three-tech on the front side, and, I, and, I, and I, I do overplay the play. Don't I have anybody behind me, like specifically the linebacker trailing the play by a gap who mm-hmm. should be the guy to, 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 that I have to trust to clean up my mess? Should. You should be. But that's what the the center or the the guard that's inside of you should be working to that guy anyway. Mm-hmm. So if you if you cross the face of one guy, the next guy just gonna step right, see you gone, and go up to the linebacker. Okay. The linebacker's probably gonna be blocked. So he's there to clean up for you, but he's gonna have to shed an old lineman to clean up that mess. Okay, that's a hard. That's even a, a bigger mistake you're making. So you keep stretching it out, man for man, all the way to the sideline. Eventually, he runs out of room and ability to cut back cut back space. The guy on the uh, the backside, the unblocked guy, has to be extremely patient. Okay, and what what depth should he get? Because that's one thing I've seen on the reverses this year is the the containment guy gets lazy and stays too close to the line of scrimmage instead of getting the proper depth to play the reverse. Because if you don't have that proper depth initially, my thought only is the reverse is already gone. It's You're, you're going to get beat to the edge very badly. If you have the depth, you can usually make up line, ground to the line of scrimmage for that cutback run. I think you should just squeeze it and just kind of stay at the... No, at max one yard on the other side of the ball. At max one yard, huh? At max, that way you can see because normally most reverses have a bubble to them. You can see them coming if you're at the right level. As long as you don't turn your shoulders, you should be good. Unless the reverse guy straight up can outrun you. That's that's the only thing. A lot of times that reverse guy can, can. outrun you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of reverses are played well in the NFL. But the guy that's getting reversed is normally faster than most edge guys. 
That's that's true. The the guy I'm used to thinking about being the reverse killers of all time are like Trevor Price and Rob Burnett, who are not among the fastest players at the point in their career I'm thinking about them doing this. Mm-hmm. And what they always got is they always got the really good depth in the backfield to shut down that reverse. And they, they knew how to, I guess probably they saw it coming from further away, could get the greater depth. Use and angles. Then, yeah. So mm-hmm. force the guy deeper if right into your hands as well. So. The thing is, is when they see it coming, don't run at the guy. Run at a point where you want to try to meet him because you know where your help is coming from. As long as you don't let him get outside, you should be good because you, you should have other guys flowing back to help you. The thing is, mm-hmm. just don't do whatever it takes not to let him get outside of you. Mm-hmm. All right. That's terrific inside football there, Coach. Appreciate the, the discussion there. Um, let's talk a little bit about packages here because the Ravens used a very limited set of packages in this game. And some of it was some of the things we talked about earlier about not wanting to overuse defensive linemen. So I'll kind of go through this quickly. Um, they did not play any jumbo. Of course, the Jaguars never ran a play inside the 13 yard line Mm. in the entire game. So that was kind of made it easy. Uh, they never had a, had a, uh, third and short where the Ravens overplayed it with four defensive linemen or anything like that. It wasn't that kind of a game where they really needed to. Um, base, they had 14 snaps of. Now, the Jaguars played all kinds of different personnel groups. They played 12, they played 13, they played 21, and they played a lot of six-man offensive line, which can be 12 or 13, uh, including on that goal line. It was goal line plays to start the games. So the Ravens were actually in their base defense when Judon broke through for the sack. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> the fact that, that we got sacks versus, what, a uh, sixth O-lineman, it, it's, it's pretty good. They had a sixth O-lineman and a tight end. Uh, Probably two tight ends, huh? I, on the they, I think they had uh, either twelve or thirteen personnel on that. But remember, Junon was blocked by number eighty mm-hmm. on that play, so he had a tight end that he was he was beating. Uh, I'd have to look at the play again. I That's, can't do it right but now. Even thinking about the the other two guys we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. they probably beat Olaima then, because it would have been a safety had Junon gotten blocked because those other two guys like were a, a hair behind Junon. Oh yeah, McPhee definitely beat a mm-hmm. beat an offensive lineman. So yeah. Yeah, that rush side linebacker normally be an O lineman, but they, they might have had one and two on the on the two sides on this on that particular play just to get out of get out of danger with a you know where they were. Um, okay, so anyway, the the let's give you some other information on the base defense. Base defense played pretty well in this game. Fourteen plays, sixty one yards, four point four yards per play. Anytime you can hold the opponent to less than five yards per play in any type of defense, I think it's good. Uh, they only allowed 2.6 yards per carry on base runs. That had been a problem for the Ravens, having games where they allowed four or five or even more yards per carry in the base defense. Completely unacceptable. But this game, very back to, to a very good level. <laughs> it's the fact that we were able to stop the run with minimal, you know, personnel, you know, package. We didn't we didn't have to go in a jumbo. We didn't have to, you know, add extra four or five. Well. Five six D line, and we were able to do it basically, basically out of base is still amazing. And then kind of, I ain't gonna say shut down the pass, but control the pass because mm-hmm. some of the pass plays they got, pass interference or tight throws. They they didn't have a lot of guys running wide open. No, that's true. They they got a decent amount of yardage per throw, but not really good. I think they were at five point seven, including the sacks. But one of the things about the way their play results played out was that they had a lot of variation in those pass results, which included five sacks and a, and a sack fumble. Um, and and that's, that's what, exactly what the defense wants. 
the what the what the offense uh, sorry what the defense ultimately would not want exactly is to get give up 5.7 yards per play every single play right it's fairly <laughs> obvious why they wouldn't want that but they would they you know defense lives and their ability to get off get the other team off the field is a function of how much variation they have in their in their pass play results so they the ravens really got it in this game with a very aggressive pass rush we're going to get to in a minute I mentioned before they didn't play any jumbo nickel. That's an oddball for the Ravens. They've usually been playing between five and ten snaps of jumbo nickel every week as kind of a uh, change change up on their base package. Uh, sorry, change up on their standard nickel package, I should say. And they use jumbo nickel to get a third defensive lineman on the field, take off an inside linebacker. That gives them a little more ability to stop the run in theory. Uh, but they didn't use it at all in this game. They They conserved line snaps and it's not like this conserves a ton but by not playing let's say seven jumbo nickel snaps they basically take seven defensive line snaps off the table and when you're as limited as what the ravens have been recently with injury and effectiveness on the defensive line i think that's a good thing i have a question um all four of our inside linebackers have been getting a pretty good amount of snaps correct let me let me uh get that up for you right now here coach i'll tell you what who, who do you want to know about I'm just thinking with with Fort and Board. I think I see them in the game a ton. I think I do. Yep. But if if not at crucial times to uh, kind of help us not have to play so many D linemen. Yeah. So Board is playing the role of the dime back a mm-hmm. lot. So he had 35 snaps yesterday. And where the Ravens would normally play the dime defense, and there's two ways. They could play big nickel, and he plays a little bit of that and was one snap of this alternate base defense that Board was in, effectively playing a safety who would cover a slot receiver, a tight end that split wide. Mm -hmm. So they use that against 12 personnel. Um, He also plays effectively that dime back role, even though he's not a safety and is very definitively not a good cover guy, um, (laughs) as the second linebacker in race car nickel or other uh, rush nickel packages where it would normally be a dime, but the, but the Ravens aren't playing dime this year. Ravens don't have a third safety. Frankly, that's been one of the big failures in keeping this team with the proper personnel on game day is they don't have a third safety at all who can play. Right. And if Levine had to come in and play strong safety for this team, it just would not be a good thing, I think, at this point. So when when um when they drop Chuck down, do you consider him a linebacker or is he still counted as a safety? Dimeback, he's which is which is a safety. Okay. So last year it was it was Chuck Chuck coming in and playing the dimeback role and Carr playing that split safety on the back end or or a typically a deep safety role. A strong safety would be the would be the easy thing to call it. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Elliot played a little bit of that too last year, but. You know, I think they've they've been remarkably fortunate in that regard. We haven't we haven't been tested with injury concerns at safety, but the the health of Elliott and Clark has just been a remarkable benefit to this team. Right. But once and he should have the, had a pick too. Yeah, he sure should have, huh? It was a good. It was a good. It's a good thing he didn't even get a PD in the book, and he was clearly the first to touch the football. But I'm, the, the Ravens would go to the league, and they'll ask him to change that this week. I'm sure. You mentioned the the other inside linebackers too, Coach. I want to get to them. So Fort played 17 snaps in this game. Harrison, who would be in the game as an either-or with Fort, because they both split that will linebacker position, had only eight snaps. His play's been getting reduced a little bit lately. I haven't noticed him playing as much. Uh, you know, We could look at it for the full season, I could tell you in a second. But uh, Queen still played 
46 of 56 snaps that were competitive, so he missed 10. They take him out on a fair number of pass plays, most specifically on the race car nickel he's taken out because they uh, put in board as the only inside linebacker in that picket package. For the season, we're sitting out. I'll give you the percentages for the big guys. Board's at 24.1%. Fort is at 35.2%. Harrison is at 26.2%. So he, had some, he was playing more earlier in the season. And Queen is at eighty point five percent for the year. Yeah, and and I don't know the reasoning, but it seems to me that Queen would stay in in those coverage situations. I think that what Queen messes up on is um, playing too fast sometimes. Yeah, he's he's had definitely had problems with assignments this year in terms of not really knowing. But I think the the general thought and the general observation has been the last three weeks that. His coverage decision-making has been better. His man coverage skills have never really been the problem, specifically even though he got, he got beat on a perfectly thrown wheel route this week. Yeah, him and Marlon. Yeah, Marlon was... Do, who had responsibility for that play? Because it sure looked Marlon, like Queen... Um, Marlon's guy set a screen, a pick. on. Uh, he ran a hitch that kind of stuck his butt out to try to screen off of um, Queen. And so Marlon, okay. I think Marlon switched... And both of them end up chasing the running back. But yep. that was a great catch and a great throw. I just had to tip my hat to Minshew and the running back because he couldn't have put that ball in a better spot. No, it's, that's exactly it. It could have been caught any better nor taken to the pylon any better. It was just there's there generally most coaches will tell you in the NFL that there's no defensing the perfect pass. Right. And that was that was a, a dime, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Right. Right in the trash can. So, uh, you know, definitely a positive thing. Anyway, I think we talked about the linebacks a little bit. Let's move on. Standard nickel was the, the meat and potatoes of what the Ravens played. 29 snaps of this two inside linebacker, two outside, outside linebacker, and two defensive lineman package. It's the most balanced thing the Ravens present in terms of uh, stopping the runner pass. And they, they play it in basically all 11 personnel situations unless it's an extreme down and distance situation. And then they'll replace a linebacker with a safety, or in this case, a, a one of the basic two linebackers, the two down linebackers with Chris Board. They, and, I, that's, that's, and that's probably where I was seeing Board, you know, because I, I noticed mm-hmm. the number would flash across the screen. And I'm like, I'm seeing him more and more each game. And I think I should be seeing Fort, Queen, and Harrison, but I'm seeing Board more and more. And you just kind of bagged up what I was seeing. You know what? I'm having trouble understanding because, I mean, Fort, in this game, he had a pick. Last year, he had a pick that also got called back by penalty, by the way. Oops. And he had, um, he seemed to play the pass extremely well since he got here week, what, week five of last year. Yeah, right around that time. Yes, sir. Yeah. So I'm wondering why he hasn't got more of an opportunity to play that weak side role or maybe just to be the the proxy dime back the way board has it doesn't seem like i don't I, I i'm having a hard time understanding what it is that board brings to the table as a coverage guy that fort wouldn't i mean board has no idea what's going on behind him on a pass play that's the main problem fort has some of that ability he may not have the ability to stop it all the time but he has at least some of the savvy that a ray lewis brought to the table and i'm I'm not comparing him to Ray Lewis, but I'm comparing his level of savvy and understanding of what his assignment is and route concepts that can be run behind him as being a good for a linebacker and has the ability to impact passing lanes with that understanding. I, 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 he'd have to be at practice to see. Oh, okay. He'd have to know his, his 
how well he knows his assignments. It's you know because what we see on film is not matching up with um, what we're seeing in the game. Because in the game, like you said, Boyd, I don't say he looks lost, but he's obviously not, in my opinion, not the best cover guy out there. And the fact that they keep throwing him out there in cover situations kind of blows my mind. But mm-hmm. I don't know his how much he understands. I don't know how much Fort knows the system or can execute the system or spit the system out when asked. It's 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 a bunch of the things uh, that we don't know that could be the reason why he's not out there. But the tape's not matching what we see. Right. I, I agree. And I think there might even be a secondary reason to have Fort in the game. And that is, to the degree Queen needs help, Fort has clearly been an on-field repositioner and mentor for him. Now, it, it's, it, it takes a village sometimes with a player who really is just does not exactly know what's going on, but has tremendous physical gifts in order to get him positioned properly play after play. But Fort seemed to be one of the guys who they had a good communication rapport with them that was clear on camera, even when Fort is telling him he didn't do the right thing. Right. And what, what, even if that's the case, he's doing a great job because I don't, and probably correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't seen another rookie having the type of year he's having defensively. Even with those couple games where he was just completely fooled, he's making plays every game, all game. And it's it's crazy, you know, how well he's playing right now as a day one starter, almost. Yeah, it's it's it certainly is exciting to see him have a splash game again because it'd been a while, mm-hmm. frankly, since he'd splashed the way he had with a bunch of plays. But he had a sack, a quarterback hit, had another pressure, had a good run stop for loss. Uh, there's some other play he made too. But anyway, even on the wheel route, I thought he had great coverage on the play. I don't I think that so was too. his problem. Yeah, I thought so too. Uh, anyway, I'm, I, I don't want people to get the idea that I'm I'm so down on Queen. I mean, Queen played 80% of his snaps as a rookie so far. Ray Lewis played 67% of his snaps as a rookie. And that was for the 1996 Ravens, who were the worst Ravens defensive team of all time. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not... It's not so bad by any stretch that Queen is is not playing full time. I just wish they really had the personnel they needed. And and honestly, what this team needs right now is a third safety who can cover. They need a third. They need Geno Stone to be able to be a guy they either trust on the back end or to be able to come up and play in the box. Or they need somebody else from outside the organization, somebody like we thought Gilchrist was for a couple of weeks there, who could come in and play that dime back role or play the back end and have Clark move up on in dime situations. Yeah, that the uh, I still no, I still think Warriors better than Stone, but I just want to throw that out there. But we need somebody to come in and, and relieve those guys because that snap count can't get too high, especially this time of year, because we don't need any guys, you know, being hurt for fatigue or, or any of that. Somebody's gonna have to 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 come in and and just relief because you know we want to save those those D linemen till hopefully playoffs. Yeah. Well, I, you know, you mentioned I, I'm okay with either it being Warrior or Stone. I mean, Warrior's an animal, so him playing in the box might be a, a really good place for him to be. You, you, you want what you really want in that third safety is great short area zone cover skills. Mm-hmm. And Anthony Levine had those in spades two years ago. Apparently, he doesn't have them anymore, or I think he'd be out there instead of board because we're not seeing so much from board that he couldn't be replaced. Exactly. Yeah. 
All right, let's keep on going. Rush Nickel, they played that for five snaps, three outside linebackers on the field with a, a, a board also replacing that second inside linebacker. Uh, that worked fine. Race Car Nickel, seven snaps. The race Car really got embarrassed, by the way, last week uh, with 12.0 yards per play allowed. This week uh, looked terrific, and they were down to, let me get this proper here, in the race car... 2.7 yards per play, 19 yards on 12 on seven plays. That's what you need your closer defense to do. That race car, when they bring it on, they're usually trying to close out third down or close out a drive at the end of the half. And you need that defense to be effective. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> All right, sorry. Uh, zero dime snaps again in this game. I mentioned that earlier. I don't have anything else to say about packages. We can move on if, if uh, we're ready to go here. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good on that. All right, let's talk. Because, let's, uh, one last thing. Yeah. The reason I think, you know, it's kind of a cut and dry thing because we played similar packages all game and kind of was like, like you said earlier, so bland in the second half that there was no need to go through a ton of, you know, different packages and put film out there for other guys to see. Yeah, you know, that's, I think that's exactly it is they, they really wanted to keep some of the playbook close. They didn't do a lot of scheme pass rush in the second half, and they didn't put the race car nickel on the field again. They used all seven snaps that were in the first half. And even though that had been tremendously effective, they didn't, they didn't put it on again in the second half. So there, something's going on because mm-hmm. those guys, I mean, if there's anything the Ravens have a lot of, it's outside linebackers. They right. have five guys they play every week, and they have a sixth guy on the team they can't even activate, even though he's one of their you know, better unactivated players. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, you know, if they, if they had a, a spare at any position, that would be it. But, uh, but anyway, all right, let's move on to the pass rush. This was really the kind of the dessert for this game for me. Uh, Minshew had a, had a tough game in terms of ample time and space. He did have a, a, a few opportunities, nine out of 34, 26%, certainly a below average total where he had a three second pocket to throw. He also threw with the ball out quick, another, eight times in this game. So there were 17 total pressure events the Ravens got. That's 50% of the time they generated some sort of pressure. It's very high for this year. We've got charts now that are split out into those three categories on the website. If you want to go to the gallery view, you can see them there. Really appreciate Brent Dawson putting those together for us. He's got some regular stuff out there. It just looks terrific. But anyway, um, he the 50% pressure events, five sacks, two other quarterback hits within three seconds, and 10 individual pressure events. So it was a very, very impressive day for the pass rush, beating a line that did not really seem to be cohesive. Yeah, we, we needed that. The, the the defense needed that. They needed because we've been hammering, We and I mean fans, have been hammering mm-hmm. that we're not getting enough pass rush. And I understand that it's the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they haven't won but one game, but still. We needed that. We needed a, a game where those guys maybe got confidence and realized, oh, we can get home with four, or we can get home with five without doing these exotic blitzes. And um, they just needed to pin their ears back and get after it. But the fact that we had a lead helped also. Yes. <laughs> it kind of always does to kind of pin your ears back to to that impact. They rushed five plus on 19 out of 34. That's one of the things that Wink really didn't skimp on in this game. They had three seven-man rushes, including the safety. Was a mm-hmm. was a seven man rush, fifty six percent of their uh, time they rushed five plus. That's well above their season average, which is in the low forties. Uh, they were much more effective, however, when they rushed four or fewer. They gave up only four point one yards per play when they rushed three or four, and f- when they rushed five plus, they gave up nine. Sorry, seven point three yards per play. And that's probably having those more DBs that cover those zones when yeah. we rushed four or fewer. That's that's definitely a cor- direct correlation of that. 
because, uh, like I said, those guys were not just running wide open for the most part. Yeah, it was, it was good to see the, the, you know, the, them to be able to play a little bit of man concept as well or with max protect routes to have better chances to get a good bracket going in zone coverage. You know, but they had they had opportunities where you could make Minshew be very uncomfortable throwing into a bracket of two defenders, which boy, that's the best way to cover them. If you have if you have the overlapping circle, as I call it, of an of island coverage, there's there's always a place where you can put the football where your guy has a chance to get it. If you if you have a bracket coverage, that quarterback is scared as hell to throw the ball in there. Yeah, that, that's tough. That's tough. That, if you get a bracket coverage, that read should just not be a part of your read. You should just mm-hmm. go to the next read. But guys that, you know, have the, the gall to throw it, normally it's intercepted or incomplete. But, you know, occasionally you'll get a Hopkins or somebody like that that can catch those balls. Yeah. So it, the, the interesting one in this game, and it was, I guess it was actually zone coverage, but it was still impressive because, it, you know, there was a star, a five-pointed star of players collapsing on Mark Andrews on that long ball down the left seam, left numbers, between the left seam, left numbers, mm-hmm. that, that was one of those plays that, you know, he just said, go, go up and get it, Mark, and, and uh, he trusted him to get it. But it's, I don't think he trusts anybody else. I don't think he trusts Miles Boykin with that ball. Oh, no, not, <laughs> not yet. Miles yeah. has come a long way, but not yet. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. What else we want to talk about in the pass rush? 18 individual blitzes from off the line of scrimmage. So they really went crazy with all kinds of zone blitz pressure. They dropped players from the line of scrimmage effectively. They did that seven times. They dropped two plus. They had four stunts. All four of the stunts resulted in some sort of pressure generated. And one thing that comes to mind is why don't you stunt more against a, against an offensive line that two things are happening. One is they don't seem to know each other all that well. And number two is Minshew's holding the ball what seems like a little longer than some of the other quarterbacks the Ravens have faced. Right. And I thought that would be um, what Wolf was, was kind of brought in for because mm-hmm. he, he worked so well with uh, Von Miller on stunts. So I thought that would be one of the pluses of us signing Wolf to have maybe him and Judon do things or him and, and Calais or just him and somebody else because he was so good at taking that first guy and moving him out the way, um, clearing a path for the other uh, blitzer. Yeah, and, you know, those guys all credit Wolf with that. I think he's been a terrific underneath guy, but I've loved the fact that he can be the under or the over guy on the stunt. That's really money. But as the underneath guy, particularly with some of the Ravens' other quickness they have with Bowser and Judon and and Matabike, too, to a degree, you have three very quick players who can make that second block peel off Wolf so quickly that Wolf then gets a highly advantageous pass rush opportunity as the under player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I've loved what I love what we've seen with Wolf, and I agree this. I, I love the stunts. What happens is though, when you have 18 off-ball blitzes, they're not allowed to call their ad hoc stunts by the players inside the game. See, normally they aren't scripted to, to not do it on certain plays. They have the freedom to just agree between themselves they're going to stun on this play when they think they see something, mm-hmm. which is nice, by the way. You want your defensive coordinator to have the trust in you to, to, to say, yeah, it's okay to do it here. Is the fact that they're rewarding Wink with um, their effort, their play with doing that is a huge plus because early in the year they, you know, he would make calls and they weren't executing the, you know, the, the job so to speak, and so it's it's good to 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 go back to them executing what he's called and they can all get on the same page even if it was the the Jaguars. Mm-hmm. 
So Calais Campbell had a video that he did with NFL Films in the offseason. He said he's allowed, he was allowed with the Jaguars, this was, to call a stunt anytime he wanted in the game. The only thing he had to do was not do it when they had a blitz coming in behind because then they're trying to focus pressure in a certain place and they have to set up that pressure as opposed to doing their own thing and wildcatting. And this that makes all kinds of sense. And in a game where they blitz 18 times off the line of scrimmage, they can't do as many stunts. And it's also... It probably tells me that it might be advantageous to call a few less stunts, sorry, a few less blitzes from off the line of scrimmage if you're wink, if your stunts are going so well. Right. But the thing is, you have to trust the guy. You have to trust the person who is going to make that call. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, me personally, if I was wink, I would only give that freedom to Calais. Okay. Not to Wolf. I would only give that freedom to Calais. Okay. All right. Very good. All right, so Wolf is Wolf is mostly a setup guy, and he's going to be the guy calling it. It's the setup guy that I trust. It's mm-hmm. the it's the it's the talented under guy that I want calling my stunts, not the over guy. I I don't want Von Miller, even if I'm in Denver, saying you stunt here, I'm going to loop around you kind of thing. Even though Von Miller's great, mm-hmm. I don't want him, you know, basically compromising everything I'm doing on the, that side of the line of scrimmage to it's call his own blitz. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. But what what Wolf puts me in the mind of is. It's Dennis Rodman, and not okay. not because of the tattoos. Because if you think about Dennis Rodman when he played with the Bulls, all the rebounds, all the defensive nasty, dirty work that some you know you don't get a lot of pub for, you don't get a lot of glory for, but it's necessary to win. Mm-hmm. That's what Wolf's giving us. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's been a terrific player. I don't think they're missing. I don't think the Ravens fans are missing it. It's you know the pro bowl is a crowded place and it's it honestly wouldn't be the place where wolf would get rewarded because of the ravens rotational system but it, it would be nice for a player like that who's a kind of an unheralded underneath guy in stunts to get a pro bowl bid one time in his career at least even with the kind of the limited role he has that's specific but he's but without him the ravens defensive line would have been collapsed this year and then you know that pro bowl is a popularity contest so it's it's <laughs> gonna be tough to get him in now there you go. All right, so let's see. What else we want to talk about here? I, I, we talked about pretty much everything in the pass rush. Let's go ahead and move in and talk to, about some individual players because I think I've been really looking forward to hear from you, Coach, but you go ahead and start with the first call. Uh, my first individual player has become one of my favorite Ravens is Anthony Avery. I, I love what Avery was able to do because if going into the season, Avery was our fifth corner, and Sunday he was our two-corner. And um, mm-hmm. he, to me, did not disappoint. Uh, had a couple balls caught on him, but for the most part, did his job, was in coverage, was in phase. Uh, nobody really burnt them, so to speak, for a big play. And um, the fact that I saw him break up, like physically break up a couple passes, is an improvement. Because normally, like you said earlier, you know, guys just catch the ball in front of him and he tackled him. So he came up and made a couple tackles. He broke a ball up, which was, I was ecstatic for it because people were hammering Avery at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was very good to see. And he didn't allow a lot of damage. Uh, so so he got that pass breakup was on Chris Conley, which is a 6'3 guy you mentioned uh, earlier, sort of big, tall receiver. So that's that's nice to see. But he was targeted three other times for 25 yards. They were all complete. Eight yak as I scored it. So 17 plus eight, you know, giving up eight yards of throw on three. three that's not bad at all, all when you throw it in that. The really great play he had that I'll remember is the upending of Chenault on that two-yard pass near the left number. So it's early in, sorry, late in Q3, and Chenault got a ball, basically got the reception right at the line of scrimmage. Averitt undercut him. Chenault is, 
he's basically A.J. Brown. Yes. I mean, he's he's same build, same everything in terms of a guy who can really make things happen after the catch. A lot of people wanted him for the Ravens. If it, probably in the second round, they would have really loved to have him. Uh, but anyway, he on that on that play, he undercut him, and it was pretty much the only way I think hitting him there that he could have taken him down. Yeah, that, that's the the tackle I was speaking of too. That's that's mm-hmm. one of the things that that stood out to me. Uh, open field tackle because there was no help. It was one on one, and he got him down. Yeah, yeah, that's very very nice to see. Uh, I, you know, I couldn't say enough good about Avery to be only targeted four times in this game when Minshew dropped back. Well, he dropped back 34 times. He threw 29 balls, but even four out of 29 going to Avery, that's terrific. Yep. You know, you only have a few cover guys. And I mean, frankly, they only had a few guys out in the pattern. Exactly. So, you know. The, um, the only other guy that I can kind of say stood out to me would be um, Wolf, which we talked about, but Matabike. Yeah, sitting sitting in his gap and you know making a few uh, tackles at the line of scrimmage or right behind, but simply just doing his job, and you know not a not a whole lot a lot of splash, but the fact that he's where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there, and then when opportunity presents itself, he makes the tackle. So I my hats off to that guy being a rookie, you know being thrown in the fire behind a, probably a Hall of Famer and some other pretty good guys and just going in there and balling. Yeah, I, I think he probably is taking the opportunity to learn from the one thing I we, we saw from Justin here, and I didn't really notice this on a little bit of college tape, not nearly as much anyway, very violent hands in the second half, much more hand play. You know, it, it, he had a play, I forget whether he beat the left guard or the right guard on the play, but he beat him with, with violent hands to get outside and then get in for a pressure. Uh, that was very impressive. I thought he pursued down the line of scrimmage extremely well. Now, he's a quicker guy, mm-hmm. so you expect him to be one of those guys who can pursue effectively over a short or even medium distance. Right. But I thought he did a very good job of that. He's not a passive defensive lineman. He's not a 342 pounds of I'm not going anywhere like they used to describe Tony Siragusa. <laughs> now, the thing is, and I don't know what the D-line coach is coaching him, but the few opportunities we got a chance to hear Calais mentor those guys, he always talk about violent hands. I always mm-hmm. talk about violent hands. But I don't know if that's Calais rubbing off on him. And I'm sure it's a combination of Calais and the coach, but we definitely we, we got a chance as fans to hear Calais talk to the whole group about violent hands. One of the things I noticed from the second half, and the, the hands the hands are what Ferguson needs to need. I wish Ferguson would pick up on some of that yes. ability. And and honestly, you know, you hear about Phil Sims talks about uh has discussed before anyway that Edge setters or guys who play or are top pass rushers will take karate and they'll take other things to try and make their hands faster, make their reactions quicker. But I, th- I think it's all it's really about anticipating move and counter move. So you're really trying to read the other guy's hands as much as you need to move your own hands quickly. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's only a few players who can probably get away with that one handed pass rush and have the strength and the speed of an Ngakwe, say to get outside and play with one hand. Other guys, they really need to need to punch and then chop, or they need to do some combination of moves to get by most players. We see McPhee do it. He's you know maintained his ability as an outstanding pass rusher to this age, you know, with those great hands. Now that's that's what it's all with. For you know, as far as I know, it's, it's hands and feet with the D line. Mm-hmm. Hands then feet. Hands first then feet. Hands hip then feet. I'm sorry. Hands hips then feet. Hands hip then feet. All right. 
Okay, so I want to make one other point about Midabike. Now, I, I mentioned earlier, and Coach, you, you brought this point up too, is that they, they really went to kind of a vanilla scheme look in the second half in terms of the pass rush and in terms of a lot of the package usage not coming out with race car. Matabike had five pressures in this game. All five came in the second half when things were much more vanilla. And I'm just looking across the score sheet. They rushed six men once in the second half. It was all fives. It was mostly five zeros or four zeros during that second half. They had one, you know, three-man rush, actually two three-man rush, one of which got home for a sack fumble. But anyway, my point is they're going with a much more vanilla scheme and fewer total outside linebackers on the field. And they have more ability to pin their ears back maybe, but they're doing less of it with scheme. Mm-hmm. Matabike effectively got a bunch of one-on-one wins to generate those five pressures in the second half. It wasn't like he had a lot of benefit from other players to do it. The thing is when you have um, younger guys, and I, I try to do it with my kids too, if you simplify the scheme or simplify the calls and just let them play ball, you you normally get good, you know, good play out of younger guys just you know simplify the calls look your job is x x do x at a high level and that's probably that's what i'm thinking um matt bk had a chance to do in that second half with the the vanilla defense that was called you're, you're like if you got a gap take care of a gap control it uh if you're rushing the pass up through a gap do that you know whatever the, the the combination of calls was it being simple enough to him just use his athletic gifts to, to, to execute, which, you know, helped him out. Yeah. Do you think, is it, is it as, is it as simple as play this exact assignment or is it, is it maybe as a coach, would you tell him get to the quarterback, however you can, I, we can take some chances in the second half. You beat your guy left or right, even though the call might normally be, you only beat him to your left Mm -hmm. to maintain your rush lanes. I'm okay. You beat him either way. You use your hands. I want to see violent hands this half. Yeah, that could be a call from the sideline. Look, we're up. Like work on work on this. You know, mm-hmm. you got you know, we gonna do this behind you, you work on whatever, you know, whatever they send them out there to do. And it's like I said, when you simplify it and just let them guys don't think as much, when that when, when players think less and can, can use their physical gifts more, it's all you always gonna have a better uh, outcome. Always. Yeah, I- I think you're right about that. I think we've even seen that maybe from Lamar Jackson a little bit the last couple of weeks. Two-minute drills. Look at the two-minute yeah. drills. Yeah. The, the plays are simple. They're fast. He, he executes them because there's not a lot of thinking. It, it, it really is great to see. It makes you think the Ravens would be a good no-huddle team. It's not exactly who they want to be because mm-hmm. they want to shift personnel groups. But, uh, boy, it would be kind of fun to see that on a different basis, get that defense huffing and puffing. You make – you know, you're you're uh, you're going two minutes down the field, and Lamar. I, I don't know if he would get tired personally from the run. He might, but uh, but I have a feeling the defensive the defensive players would be a lot more tired. Most definitely, and you get those. And the thing is, the D linemen these days, you don't have a lot of Goosa type D linemen. So that was the plan, and, and I'm probably gonna go off tangent for a minute, but when Alabama lost their couple of games to uh, Ole Miss, to Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. To uh, Clemson, they were Alabama had those huge defensive tackles that were massive that you couldn't run on. But those spread teams with the mobile quarterback, uh, you're looking at Deshaun Watson, you're looking at a uh, um, Kelly, the Kelly kid that was at Ole Miss, and you look at Manziel. They were going left to right, left to right, left to right, left to right, getting those guys tired, then hit them up the middle. And that's you know that type of defensive lineman don't really have a lot of success. You know, like B. Will may be one of the last ones. Him and Pierce. 
of that type of defensive lineman hanging on. Mm-hmm. So uh, substitution is always a big deal when they're doing that with a um, team like the Ravens. They, they get those guys often on the field. They don't play six straight snaps very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm wondering, was, was Alabama in a position where they were using their guys, you know, 75% of the game or something? Uh, they, were, they were running the guys on and off. It's just the fact that the offense was no huddle because, you know, um, Saban was a, a big – uh, against the spread, you know, game going. Like, they hmm. implemented rules where people could play faster, and Saban was, was one of the few people like, no, slow the game down. Because he knew his personnel wasn't ready for that. And he eventually, you know, changed because that's where the, the game went. But they were running guys on and off, but just, you know, a, a big guy at, at 315, 320, four or five plays going, you know, sideline to sideline, he coming out. And then you run another guy in for two or three plays. But not what you gonna, you got a third set of, you know, guys like that, and they may have, but <laughs> if you think about it, them guys can be tired. Run the third or fourth quarter, they wore out. Yeah, yeah, huffing, puffing, no doubt about it. You, know, what do you, what when you're coaching high school ball, what do you look for in the opponent to know that their players are tired? Uh, just bending over, uh, <laughs> take how slow they how slow they get up off the pile. Okay. You know, you look for solid. I'm sorry, not silent. Silent tales to to say, okay, we got them right here, but, you know. And but in Florida, it's it's tough because all these guys play all year. Round. I mean, in Mississippi, it was easy. You could you can look over and see a guy holding his you know holding his shorts and bent over, or you can see him you know breathing hard or getting up slow. But here in Florida, all these cats they run around and play all day. Okay, I I was you know one of the big tales in the NFL level is hands on hips, and when all all eleven players have their hands on the hips after a ten play drive. You know you got them. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that one too. I missed that one, but that one yeah. definitely is. Yeah. All right. All right. I want to bring up a couple more players and we'll get going here because we always let this conversation go too long when it's you and me, buddy. But uh, uh, Ferguson is a player that I wanted to talk about his game. I thought he did a decent job of of stopping some edge play in this game. But one thing that, that was also good was when that screen pass came up, the entire line of scrimmage figured it out. Nobody was pressuring the quarterback. Ferguson got plastered himself to the running back on that play. And even though he was not pressured in any way, Minshew immediately grounded the football. That was just, that was the one he threw at his feet. Yeah, yeah. definitely. The, the entire D-line stopped. Yep. Entire. I don't know what gave it away, but the entire <laughs> D-line stopped. And whoever was, I guess it was Ferguson, he found a running back and went and stood right beside it. All right. Another player I want to bring up, Yannick Ngakwe. Obviously had a great game here. They're using him for what they need to use him for, which is the pass rush. They had him on for more run plays in this game. He didn't hurt the Ravens at any point on a run play. In fact, he had one nice bubble on a stretch left by Chenault. I guess it was. It must have been a... Uh, I don't think he was running the backfield, so it must have been a jet sweep play where they stretched him out to the left, and it only went for a run left for one yard. I know he had he had one also where he was he was the took a direct snap. It's not that that I'm thinking of. This was a Q2 1337. If you look at it after the show, you'll you have a chance. But anyway, uh, otherwise his pass rush was the best we've seen it so far. He did a really good job against Cam Robinson in terms of fanning him out, getting around the edge, getting his hand on the football like we haven't seen much so far. He, he's like because he, we were always saying, and I don't know if you were saying that he was oh so close to getting sacks, getting sack farmers or whatnot. And that also close turned into actually producing this game. I don't know if the extra juice because of the Jags. 
I don't know if Cam was there when he was there, so he kind of knew, you know, what moves that he could beat Cam with. Uh, it could have been a number of things, but I, I, you know, contributed to the fact that he's just been going at it, going at it, going at it, and it finally paid off this week. Yeah, no, we had seen the chop move being his go-to move. In this case, both sacks came on a spin move. Mm-hmm. And you might want to do a video on this and just tell the tell the viewers kind of like what's going on, you know, frame by frame kind of thing. But very impressive inside spin moves. Uh, S minus eight was he got there very quickly. The S the sack fumble minus four was at the three man pass rush. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just don't see that very often. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I very impressive. The nice thing about the three man rush is they they left a double team on Wolf, who mm-hmm. by the way still made the recovery of the fumble despite having a double team on him, <laughs> and that left a big fan out area, which should make it easy for Ngakwe to either go to the chop or the spin. And sure enough, it did with the spin in that case. Uh, anyway, good other pressure. So so glad to see Yannick do it. I don't get caught up in the going back to Jacksonville and getting revenge. There's something fairly pathetic about trying to get revenge on a one and thirteen team, right? <laughs> but uh, but I do like the fact that they they handled Jacksonville, who's played some other opponents tough easily. Right. Anybody else you want to talk about before we move on? Uh, we talked about most of the guys. I'm gonna just mention Humphreys for a second. Um, the fact that he was targeted the most and they, he probably had the most catches on him still does not take away from the fact that I think he's the second best corner in the league. Every mm-hmm. every ball that those guys caught, Marlon was right there. He was right there. And even on the, the pass, pass interference, I think he got two maybe. Uh, yeah. He was in phase attempting to get the ball or knock it out or something. So, the you know, even though they had some catches, you know, granted, they're going to have catches. I still think for what he does for us, he's the second best corner in the NFL behind Ramsey. I, I you'd have a hard time disproving that argument or, or or putting down that argument when he's got all those forced fumbles. I mean, they're they have tremendous value. They're not, they're like half an interception each. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they're awfully awfully important and. Uh, he's been penalized a lot this year, which is the one thing I'm concerned about. But some of that is just the system the Ravens play, that they're putting an island on him on an island a fair amount to to either you know designate their coverage elsewhere or also to get schemed pass rush mm-hmm. to, to, to get in. So anyway, he's been left alone a lot. And, and I, I think for the most part, he's taken some smart penalties. Of course, when you're going to get a pass interference call, you better just go ahead and interfere with the guy and right. <laughs> and not let him make a touchdown catch on the play. Right. <laughs> All right. MVPs. Do you want to you want to go three to one, or you go, you want to just talk about who I've got on here? Yeah. The only other guy I just wanted to mention was Anthony Avery. That's all. He's my MVP because even though he was not on the stat sheet that much, he was not on the stat sheet that much for yeah. the <laughs> <There> <laughs> <you> <laughs> <go>. <laughs> If that's you're a cornerback, that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, I I agree. I I liked his play too. It's very hard to come up with a top three defenders in this because I had a lot of honorable mentions. But I'm going to start with the top three. Matt BK is my number three guy. Five pressures in the second half, made three tackles. They were all defensive wins uh, in the run game. So truly exceptional game. It's exactly what the Ravens need in terms of, a, of having a young defensive lineman step up. I see you nodding. We'll move on. Yeah, I was going to let you do your three. That's because I talked about the guy I wanted to. Okay, sure thing. Patrick Queen, uh, terrific game of splash plays. We're seeing a better coverage player now, I think, these last couple of weeks. Uh, very happy that he's getting it turned around, and he may not end up with a good PFF grade for the year, but hopefully he can he can play well these last few weeks and into the playoffs just the way he did for LSU last year 
improving through the year to take him to eventually the national championship. Video on Queen Christmas Eve. I'm sorry, say that again? Video on Queen Christmas Eve. Very good. Look forward to that one, buddy. Um, Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, I, I always tell Yannick, it's Yannick Ngakwe. I get that. Uh, gets the player of the game in this time. Two sacks, one forced fumble, uh, other pressures, good play on a run play. He did it all in this game, and uh, it's great to see the Ravens get a good return on who he is. Hopefully he can he can play out the rest of the season at a high level, whether that means getting a big contract in Baltimore or getting a big one somewhere else. Either one's okay with me. Agreed. Agreed. He, he's here to for a reason, and hopefully we can find a way to get in the, the playoffs and, and maximize the us losing, what, a fifth, third or fifth round pick for him? Yes, they gave, they gave up a third-round pick, so they could possibly get a third-round pick the next year back. But it looks like next draft going to be pretty tight for the Ravens, particularly if they get penalized for COVID. Mm-hmm. And you know, let's say they lost a, a second or a fourth-round pick. Either one would be devastating in terms of... At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii of the the impact of COVID. And I think with the Raiders already losing a sixth, I think that puts a minimum on what the Ravens might be hit with. Oh, because of the outbreak. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right, so Josh, how are we doing in the mailbag today? All right, we got a few things in here in the mailbag. Remember, you can get your questions in using the hashtag FilmStudyMailbag over at Twitter. All right, uh, first one up. As far as the rookies this year, have any of the defensive rookies stood out this year? Well, I think we talked on this show about Matabike and Queen. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any other defensive rookie. I don't think Broderick Washington has really shown out yet. He's played. He's played some, and that's good experience. But I'm Geno Stone obviously hasn't gotten on the field. I'm trying to think, am I missing anybody? Malik, Malik Harrison, yeah. Malik's, Malik's played enough to, 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 to splash some. He's, mm-hmm. He hasn't showed up like I thought he would, but I think eventually Malik will be the Mike and Queen will be the other guy to kind of to do everything back. But Malik's an A-gap to A-gap guy. Does a great job of taking on blockers and not necessarily making the tackle, but not allowing blockers to get to him and bulldoze him and open up holes. He meets those guys at the line of scrimmage and brings wood with him when he does it. I, I love that. Brings wood with him. The the uh, It makes all kinds of sense for Harrison to be the Mike and queen to be the will if you're going to always put two linebackers on the field but since the ravens don't play that way they play a lot of one linebacker system and a lot of dime we expect as soon as they get another third a third safety who can play it doesn't make sense anymore because the draft capital expended on queen is too much to give up on him as an every down player just to get harrison more mic snaps most definitely yeah all right um let's talk about um the post-COVID and injuries and all, has the silver lining of that been that we haven't been able to really show off a uh, full front seven with Yannick? So I, I'm not tape, sure I understand the question here. That, there, that there's not a whole lot of tape out there on uh, oh. what a healthy Ravens defense would look like? 
I, boy, I don't know if I could really point to that as being the real advantage. I kind of wish they'd won one more ball game in here above any of that. <laughs> so, right. uh, you know, we wouldn't be having, the Ravens wouldn't still be needing help if they'd won one more game. Right. So, uh, but, but sure, that, I mean, there have been benefits, I think, to the fact that, you know, and, and what we saw in this game, Martindale still hiding some playbook, that they've been a little more, more comfortable in some of their wins than some other teams in the league. So, you know, the Ravens are at plus 116 now, I think, in terms of points. And that might be second in the entire league in terms of point differential. So they have, even though this hasn't been all that comfortable a year, they've been able to have some comfortable games within it. This being the most comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it seems a little weird to say. The advantage is this guy's been hurt all season, so you haven't gotten to show him off or put any tape on <laughs> when you would have rather had him. All right, uh, looking to the future, is the biggest concern on defense the safety position? You know, I, I never think that's a huge concern because I think the guys they have on the back end are the right guys. I think Elliott and Clark actually are the guys they want to have there for the years to come. We'll see what they, what they try and extend Elliott this year. But I think that the more importantly, I think they need to get a third safety who can cover. And those guys should be chief. Cheap. Mm -hmm. Ozzie Newsom could always get one for a sixth round draft pick or less. And I'd like the Ravens to pick up not one, but two guys for next year that they really believe can, can be that guy and have that be their special teams ace slash third and fourth safeties. I agree with you. I, those two, I love um, Joker and I love Chuck, but I think uh, run game wise, Chuck is sort of a, a liability when we play the bigger backs. Mm -hmm. the, you know, he's in the right position. He just don't have enough bricks in his pocket to bring those guys down. <laughs> and Levine, I mean, not Levine, um, Joker comes down, Elliot comes down, and he, he smacks people. Um, you know, I'm thinking about that that hit on um, on uh, Derrick Henry, you know, sticks out to me. But uh, we need a guy that can cover, that can kind of go, you know, half the field, or can cover a middle third, uh, can be a free safety, a center fielder back there. So, you know, and that guy should be, like you said, should be cheap, should be a special teams guy, should be a guy with a, a ton of speed to – to be able to do those type of things. Yeah, so maybe next year Geno Stone is the guy they get more out of and that he can play the half field on the back end and they can move uh, Elliott or Clark on a rotating basis up into the box because I don't think you need the bricks uh, if if it's not first or second down. If, you, if it's third mm -hmm. and seven, you want a guy who can, get, who can chase down the quarterback on mm -hmm. a run play and you want a guy who can play good short area zone defense. And I think that's, that's what the Ravens have had for all their great years of dime play. That's all I want, and it's not that expensive to find. I agree. All right, that takes care of the mailbag. Coach, you already mentioned that just like Santa, you'll be working Christmas Eve. <laughs> Why don't you uh, share about that and what other stuff you've got coming out soon? I really just – I got to try to do a video every day this week. I put one out before we recorded tonight. Um, and just, just different stuff from this game versus the Jaguars. Um, just trying to get it out. You can find it at Sip the Tally Films on, on YouTube. Uh, my Twitter is Coach Evans 9 And for those of you that have IG, um, it's Sip the Tally Films, but it's not a lot on IG. Uh, and my parting shot would be simply just to say to everybody, be safe. Merry Christmas. This is a crazy Christmas. This is the first Christmas that I've actually been at home because <laughs> mm -hmm. we normally go back to Mississippi. So, um, you know, shouts out to everybody that's that's maneuvering this crazy time and peace and blessings to all it's a great point have a really safe holiday everybody coach you especially in your family josh you as well it's been great working with you this year we're going to have a couple more shows before christmas but uh really yeah. can't say how much i appreciate working with you josh and working with you every chance i get coach 
Same, thank you. Same here. Same here. All right. But yeah, Ken, I was going to tell you, as you're saying that, we've got, you and I got more work this week because <laughs> there's a full week of Ravens football to recap. So we what's do. coming up? So we have the offensive show tomorrow night. Great guest, uh, Gordon McGinnis coming on. So that'll be out tomorrow if you're listening to this today, which is Tuesday, right, Josh? Yeah, evenings. We're back to the normal schedule. We didn't even talk about how great is Sunday football. Yeah, very cool. Very cool to be back at one o'clock football. Definitely means I don't have to stay up for all night if I, if I don't want to. <laughs> But, but anyway, uh, uh, we'll have uh, the Know Your Foe episode this week. We've got a great guy from the Giants coming in uh, on, on Thursday. We'll, have, uh, we'll record by the numbers. It'll be out on Friday with, with uh, Dan Reese. People have been enjoying that. Look out on the website. In addition to the offensive line article and the defensive article, you'll see these great new posts in the gallery by Brent Dawson. Terrific stuff. Really worth uh, looking there. And Josh, thanks for all the work you did to make that happen. Yeah, no problem. It's uh, it's great to have content in all different types out there. There's also a new situation room that came out this morning as well. So that's up there. And again, check out Section 336, a podcast I do with my brother and I, where we talk a little Ravens, but also just general life talk and or- a lot of Oriole talk lately. So check that out if you got a second. And remember to rate, review, share the show if you want to give us a christmas present you can give us five stars over on itunes or apple Podcasts and write a little review over there so all right guys well we will talk again soon Hey guys, it's Mike. As you know, I adopted my pup Rocky from a local rescue. Now, when people ask me what kind of dog Rocky was, I was always stumped. I used an Embark Dog DNA test to decode my most puzzling questions about Rocky. You can also learn about your dog's inner secrets with Embark, the highest rated dog DNA test. Unlock over 350 breeds and screen for over 200 genetic health risks. Save $50 on a breed and health kit with promo code KIT at EmbarkVet.com. Again, that's promo code KIT. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's List of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's. Home to any budget. Home to any possibility. U.S. only. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com.